Have you ever wanted to shift careers or start a new business? Or maybe you're wondering how to make your mark on a competitive industry. If this sounds like you, my guest today can help. She is a producer, writer, and executive known for shows such as The Hills and for co-founding Hello Giggles. She's an incredibly creative person and has tons of great insight on how to start new projects. There's also there's like a financial stress in starting a business that can be very distracting to starting a business. So whenever people are like, I want to leave my job and start my own business, I'm like, do whatever you can to match that same salary because that will not allow you to be distracted. So if you make 60 grand a year and you want to start your own business, like what are you, how are you compensating that 60 grand? Are you like freelancing? Are you driving an Uber? But like try to not change as much as you can your basic needs. From our conversation, you'll learn how to shift careers, the key to launching a project quickly, and how to grow a company and brand from the ground up. This is Lauren Conrad asking for a friend. My guest today is a producer, writer, and executive, Sophia Rossi. Before we get into our chat, I want to share a little bit more about my friendship with Sophia. So I met Sophia about 13 years ago uh, while shooting the pilot for The Hills, and she was at the time the talent producer, which meant we were in contact with her every single day. She worked with coordinating our schedules, keeping track of what was happening in our personal lives and our storylines, and she very quickly became a really important person in my life. Sophia really helped me through my years of filming because she was born and raised in LA and she has a lot of experience in the entertainment industry and she has a lot of friends who have worked in the industry. So she really helped me by guiding me through the process and there was a lot of changes going on in my life. I went from being someone who lived a relatively normal life to someone who couldn't leave her home without cameras following me all day long. And it was a really difficult transition. And she was someone who was there for me the whole time and was such a great support system. She was the person that my mom would call to check in and make sure everything was going okay. And she really became like the big sister that I never had. And I love her so much. And um, she's still to this day one of my favorite people in the world. And she has gone on from the hills to create an incredible company and then sell it. And she's about to do it all over again. And I'm so proud of her. And I'm really excited to talk to her today. So now that you know a little bit more about Sophia, here is her professional resume. Sophia Rossi has worked as a television producer for shows like The Hills, The City, and Glee. She co-founded and served as chief executive of Hello Giggles, a news and entertainment site for girls and young women. And then she went on to sell it for about $30 million. So now Sophia is about to launch her next company called High Note, which she's going to tell us all about today. You'll hear from our guest in just a minute. But first, I'm going to tell you about our sponsor. Have you ever bought something online only to find out later that you missed a discount? Honey is the free browser add-on that finds you the best deals online. The app magically auto-applies the best deals to your cart at checkout. Honey finds discounts and coupons across 37,000 sites. With Honey, you don't have to worry about missing a deal. You can just shop like normal and Honey handles the rest. Honey has saved its 10 million members an average of $28.61. Honey members have already saved more than $800 million. Not bad for something that's completely free and takes just two clicks to install. That's probably why they have over 100,000 five-star reviews on the Google Chrome store. It's free and easy to install on your computer in just two clicks. So there's really no reason not to use Honey. So shop with confidence and get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash for a friend. That's joinhoney.com slash for a friend. Honey, the smart shopping assistant that saves you time and money when you're shopping online. All right, let's get into this conversation with Sophia. Hi, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> I'm so happy you're here. I haven't seen you in a minute. I know. It feels like I see like a little sister and a cousin. Like it, it, It's confusing how much love I have for you. <laughs> Same, Sophia. <laughs> it's true. Um, so you and I know each – we've known each other for about 13 years. Do you know this? 
I did not know this, yeah. but right in front of me is the number 13, so I feel good about that. Oh. Signs everywhere. I like 13 as a number. Yeah. You and I met, yeah, 13 years ago while filming the pilot of The Hills, and you were the talent producer at the time. But then you, over the years, got promoted, correct? Yeah. I mean, so I feel like I had the same job the whole time, but just got getting promotions. But, like, my actual job was just the same thing. They actually created it on Laguna. It was, like, a talent producer as, like, a way to deal with talent. And so I was living in New York, and I was working for this hip-hop guy, Damon Dash. It was really (laughs) random. And he did a BT show called Ultimate Hustler. And there was a producer on there that was like, I'm actually doing, going to work at MTV. And there's a pilot in LA. And I was like, I'm from LA. And he was like, maybe come back and do it. And they're like, Laguna had just been on. um, And I knew all my friends were like into it, but like, I didn't really watch it. And I was like, oh, my family like hangs out in Laguna. Like I know Laguna, but you know, (laughs) I don't know much about LA. And then I came back and they were like the first Um, assignment was just to call you guys. And I was like, okay, is that going to be my job? And they're like, you sort of just like keep in touch with them and you like ask them like what their week is and then we sort of build around that. And I had like no idea what I was in for, but right away I got into it, you know, then five, I did five years of it. So it's obviously I loved it. I didn't know that that was a job that was created in on yeah, beach. I think, well, because reality was really different, but it's yeah. not like I was a segment producer, like booking the locations or like a location manager. But like, I remember I would just talk to you and be, it would be like your birthday. And I'd be like, where do you feel like, it was really easy with you guys because you weren't from LA. So mm-hmm. it'd be like. You would just tell us what was cool. Uh, yeah. I'd be like, your birthday, <laughs> of course you want to go to Koi. And you're like, I guess I want to go to Koi. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, but like, or, you know, I like fashion or, you know, or people who had certain jobs of it. But um, but yeah, it was just really interesting because then you would basically funnel information to me on what was going on. Mm -hmm. And then I would go back to the producers and be like, (laughs) this is, and they would add location, time, and structure to it. It's really interesting because like the way you describe it is almost like you were a mole. Like it was your job to get information, but it never felt that way. And and we were all kind of aware of that was how – Yeah. It felt you know like I mean? a therapist that was like sometimes crossing the line because I was like, oh, <laughs> I guess I'm talking to like – if I was like your therapist, I'm also talking to your parents, you know, like in a way that maybe is not professional. But I always felt really protective. I would call you guys the kids even though you were a few years younger than me. I don't know. I think it was a good way for me to learn the psychology of what reality meant and like people – I can anticipate – a lot of things because of that. Like I knew a lot of times how things were going to go with all of you so I could get ahead of it. And so kind of like protected it in that way. Um, But then when things got like really hard for me, like I would like have to leave the van or like I couldn't watch certain scenes. Like there were a lot of times where I took it too personal and they were like, she's not like, they would hide from me info, you know, because they knew. Yeah, I don't think that was, honestly, I don't think that was just you because I do remember a couple times during really sensitive scenes whether someone, you know, had gone through heartbreak or just something really difficult, I remember it affecting crew. Yeah. Because I mean, we did kind of become a little family and it was all really real. I just I like sometimes I remember like if I would cry, I would see other people crying. Crew would cry a yes. lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you have to remember like you're in a really close space. Like I get the bachelor now when I watch people are like, How are they all just friends? I'm like, yo, you put people in a closed space and they don't <laughs> even have their phone. Like Day, like, one, you already feel like your family. Hour two, you're, like, your best friend. So this, whenever we would go on a vacation or something, like, and everyone would be in one space, I'd be like, oh, this is what those shows are like. Like, you just don't even see straight because you're all just living the same energy of it. But, no, it was really hard. I mean, I remember – I won't make you relive it, but there, there, <laughs> there was a breakup that we were hiding in your loft. Oh no, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and I, everyone was crying. I remember. We were. It was so hard for us, and I was like, "Is this going to be my job forever?" I mean, for a long time, I had like a lot of guilt, where I was like, "Did I do something wrong? Like, was this appropriate?" But everyone has great lives, so it happens. If I'm, if I remember correctly, this was this was when Jason and I broke you, up. You correct? broke up, yeah. But we, do you know, we we had broken up like two weeks prior or something. It was like. We had filmed the first season, and then they were like, okay, take, like, a month off or whatever. And I remember Adam was like, it's fine. Go, like, on vacation. Relax. And then I had to call you and be like, we broke up. And you were like, of course, during your time off. Yeah. And I think we never got a break again. I know. You never got a break never. again. They never gave us a break again Yeah, they were like, this is what happens. You were such a trooper. I honestly, you were such Thanks. a trooper. Thanks, Sophia. You too. I know. You lived with like practical lights in your house when we weren't there. I think about it all the time, the little things that like aren't just about being the on a reality set, show. Yeah, the set lighting. It looked like – and they had them like in my bedroom. So 
Yeah, like, and they I made was, them really beautiful. To be fair, when I go to IKEA, sometimes I see, and I'm like, that would be a good practical light that Sham would have used. But like, yeah, yeah, but no, but you had it when we weren't there, so that's a yes. really. It wasn't just intrusive. I think it confused people. Like, if I was even like when I would date outside the show, they were always, and they looked like I was ready to like shoot a porno in my yeah. room. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and sometimes I would use them if I was like doing my makeup. I would flip those things on. It was like being on set. It was so funny. But I ended up doing like later on. Um, uh, being a consulting producer on Glee with like actors versus mm-hmm. reality. And I have to say in both situations, just the way in entertainment, talent is just viewed very differently. Like there's just a way that isn't, I don't want to say it's a lack of respect, but there's just, it's not like as glamorous as people think to be the talent. There's a lot of times there's producers, I don't care who you are, if you're like Drew Barrymore, there's going to be a producer being like, you're late to set, like we're losing money. Like it's just like, there's a lot of ways that it makes it um, just an interesting dynamic. So especially with real people, it was just almost easier for me with real people than having to communicate with an actor because I was like, you get it. Like this is what's going on and you could talk like face to face. I mean, you and I had a very unique relationship like that, but I th- yeah, I think that for me, I just always understood that that was part of the job, and I knew I was really lucky to have that job. So I, I understood I understood that, and I-, I never really got it when people just like wouldn't show up to set. I was like, because I knew how much it cost. To no, have- yeah, no, like, but there would be crazy. times where like I told, I mean, people get sick or people just don't want to do something that day, and like yeah. in the real world, you can say you can have a sick day, you yeah. know. But when like there's a crew and responsibility and a whole thing to you. Like, that's a lot of pressure to put on people who, I mean, you got a lot of benefit from it. And so everyone also knew that. But just on a day-to-day, I think for me, knowing being a talent producer, one of my biggest challenges was like treating you guys as human and yeah. also as like what my function as a job was. And there sometimes those didn't match up, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that that actually, like you – you were so important to me during that whole process because I think you were really fair and you were really honest with me and that helped like the worst feeling you ever felt while filming was when you would look around and realize something was about to happen to you and you had no idea what it was and everybody in the room knew because all the cameras would shift and like point at a door and you were like what's about to come in like that was the worst feeling like the sky is falling I don't know what's about to happen but you were always really transparent with me and it was almost like we would barter you'd yeah. be like listen if you, like I'm just gonna let you know this is about to happen I need you, it's gonna be okay hold it together and I just that's how I kind of got through. Yeah, but you know why? Because one time some one of the editors told me <laughs> that you – this is like a compliment okay. – that you have a face in editing that any reaction can come towards it. It's like they study it in film school. I don't know Stop what the it. term is. No, I have to find out what it is. And it's a, basically the term – that the, the, the idea is that – you could put sad music, you could put happy music, you could put whatever you want. And what, however you gaze at something has a lot of intensity. And so it could read differently. So like whatever happened, like you didn't really need to exert screaming to show something. Like I didn't need you sobbing to show you were sad. Like you could literally like – like I remember in Paris you screamed at me and you, you screamed at Adam. <laughs> but I was hiding because I was taking out the bobby pins in your hair. And you go – you're like, you're just going to put some Kelly Clarkson sad song on this. Like leave me alone. Like it's not going to matter like whether I like kiss him or walk away. Like it's the same thing. You're just going to put a sad song. And I was like, she's not wrong. Like she either way <laughs> she walks away or kiss – like we're going to get the same vibe. Like do you remember what I said to Adam who for those who don't know is the creator of The Hills? I don't. Tell me. I'll never forget this because I, I did it and then I was like, that was really dramatic. You need to take it down a level. No, what did you he he Adam wanted me to kiss the boy. Yeah, the French boy. The French boy yeah. who was very nice, but not my type. Yeah. And so I, I I remember standing there and it's like late at night and I've had a lot of champagne and we've just done like like rainy drive. Moped yeah, scene. the moped through drive through Paris. And I remember shouting at him, I will not be your whore. Whoa, I don't remember you saying that. <laughs> I did. I remember. I was like, I will not be your whore. <laughs> and I was you like, know. calm down. Yeah. And then one other thing, I don't know if you know this, but right before I got on that moped, he said to me, I used to drive with my ex-girlfriend on this moped. And I said, oh, really? He goes, now they call her one leg. <laughs> and then I had to climb on that moped. No. Yes. And then like... Through, and I remember you had to, like, assign someone to make sure he didn't drink that day. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. he was drinking a lot. He was a drinker. But he looked yeah. great on camera. Yeah. And you did. And for anyone in a reality show, the amount of exteriors we did of you on this moped going through Paris, they looked stunning. When you look at that episode, I mean, I haven't, but if you were to, you'd be like, it was shot so beautiful. <laughs> you had all these bobby pins stuck know, to your head in a helmet. You just, I mean, listen, you weren't like suffering, but it's I was, like, it, I, I still remember it hurt really bad. Yeah. I don't think you get enough credit. We could go on for a really long time here, um, but we won't because I actually want to talk to you about something completely different. Great. <laughs> I just wanted to to uh, give our history. Rem- yeah. yeah. T- talk about, yeah, our love for each other. So after, after your many years of doing The Hills and then you went on to do The City. Yeah, I did The Hills and then, then I did The City back and forth. So I sort of didn't do the last season of Hills. Mm-hmm. That Neither we did I. Yes. Yeah. I, Sort of. Is that why? It's because I left. It's not a no. But yeah, I think once I – my compass sort of had shifted and then was with Whitney. And then after that, I didn't – you know, we were a really interesting mix, which I'm so proud of. But like The Hills wasn't unscripted and it wasn't scripted. And so I knew I didn't necessarily want to go into reality, but I knew that I loved storytelling. Um, and I knew that I loved characters and I loved pop culture and I loved teen. I mean, to this day, like, it's so hard for me not to hear a song on the radio and be like, oh, that could be on the hills, you know? And then I got to do that for Glee. But, like, that's just, like, a skill set that I have, which is very um, – it's not really useful in other ways of my life. But but I like pop culture that explains – like, music that explains the narrative of the story. A lot of times the lyrics can help set a tone for that and so I had that with the hills because we would just always pick songs and we had such a great music supervisor and just and a question did you ever I just I don't know this did you ever have say in the music they would use yeah we would always do fun like everyone had like a playlist and they would well we had access to MTV because of the rights of it and Mm -hmm. then after what like if Rihanna was on rotation we could use that song because it would be like when music videos were playing like we could use that and so we had the only thing that sucked is that we would play all these stuff for live and then when it would go into digital or DVD, it'd be like weird instrumentals. We're like, that's not what the vibe was. Yeah. <laughs> but so it only sort of worked for air of it. But I had had all these like great examples of being like, I really felt like we produced the hills and which is not a testament to how great the characters were. But like between the locations, like LA was its own character. Like I loved that. Like I wanted that to be a big part. I'm from LA. I wanted all the locations to be authentic where people worked. So I had this experience where I was like, okay, what do I do next? I don't and I would try to consult, like, I consulted for, like, America's Top Model for one season or stuff. And I was like, I don't really like the hoops and the competition and all that is not really my vibe. But that I couldn't necessarily – I'm not a writer in terms of scripted TV. So I couldn't really find my balance. So before that, um, I was consulting. And then I had sort of seen this movement in, like – funny or die, like funny content for videos. And I was like, well, I have a lot of funny friends. And at the core of the hills, it was a comedy. Like you might not have felt that way, but like we laughed so hard. Like we would laugh in the edit bay forever. And like if you watch it as an adult, a lot of times the demo that was watching the hills were adults reminiscing. It was not actually teenagers. So it was – there was a comedy to like everyone scrying like – Everyone being like, I can't work today. It's my birthday. Like to this day, like everyone, like it's just so funny. Like the people would be like, it's my birthday. And we're like, no, we got it. Like a lot of people go to work on their birthday. Like there was all these funny things yeah. that we had fun in the edit bay doing. So I was like, I do love like comedy of it. The only funny one thing is that one time you and Brody were having dinner and he, we were filming in the van and we would just watch for hours. And I think about it all the time. Real quick, can you just explain what you mean by the van? Because I think people who don't work in production don't know um, Okay. Means. So, well, there'd be a van with monitors. That would be the cameras to where we're filming inside the restaurant. And so mm-hmm. executive producers and audio would sit in a van and watch you guys in the back of a restaurant. Sometimes we would have places in the restaurant, but we kind of wanted to feel like only the camera people are there. And so we would watch these dinners. So like what would be a 30-second dinner would be like four hours. Like if anyone ordered dessert, I would lose my mind. Like I'd be like, I can't like ha- – like, but you would be doing like your real life dinners that you would want to be doing. But like that's not where I want to be on like a Tuesday, <laughs> you know. So we would just watch in the van for hours and hours. And um, you could switch off and since someone like transcribed every word they said. So you could highlight some of the words that they were saying because you would take the timeline of things to be different. So a lot of times like you guys would ask things like, is this before or after Christmas? Like that's, it doesn't mean they weren't having a real meal. It's like they didn't know what the con- – like what do they know yeah. or not know in terms of what we're going to be editing. So we would watch 
these dinners forever, but they were so funny. Like, I've never laughed harder with my with Colin and Adam, like, to the point where sometimes we would cry and we'd be like, we have to pay attention because you're just – I mean, having basic conversation with any human is in itself, like, boring, but watching someone else watch it, there's just something about it. Like, and, like, especially on dates with, like, small talk or, like, you can t- – I knew right away when, like, someone wasn't into someone and you'd have to just keep going because you have these cameras. And there's the element of the cameras. But, like, you and Brody were at this, like, this dinner and someone was on the menu and then it said lobster – um, lobster bisque and and he was like what's lobster bisque and like you both didn't know and he was like I think it's a pasta I think it's a pasta <laughs> and so then the then then so the lobster bisque comes as a soup and Brody goes oh they do that differently here <laughs> I think about it all the time because there's no one it was real life because there's no one to intrude you both yeah. and be like yo that's obviously not a but we were in the van being like yeah 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 they probably do it differently here they probably do it differently here. but like that was the kind of stuff that I laugh when I think about I don't think of the drama I think of laughing so hard at you, like just human behavior you know that's amazing I'm so glad that you're telling me this now and not back then. Because you would have been self-conscious about exactly. it. Yeah. Can you imagine being on a first date, having it filmed, and then knowing that there's a car full of people laughing at everything you say that's incorrect? Yeah. I mean, it's – it's. and then listen, not just laughing, but like no, wounded I, I, when something yes. happens, happy when something – like you're really like – you're riding the wave. But yes, that is – Yes, was, absolutely. Yeah. That's hilarious. I would have done the exact same thing. And actually, I don't know if you remember, but I used to try and sneak into vi- – video yeah. village after a couple drinks I would just like appear behind like all the people watching monitors and just like watch for a few minutes yeah I mean I like the amount of times I've heard you guys pee is like oh, crazy because so don't take their mics I um, no, so I basically the my main point with that is that I really just loved seeing people's personalities in that way and okay. like and so then I couldn't really figure out what to do next and then I met one of my business partners at the time was doing freelance um, contributor writing and so she would write for like five posts five different websites a day and that would be her job for the day and I was like this contributor model is like really interesting like she doesn't work for just refinery yeah she can work for like seven people a day and have this interesting voice and then I'd met Zoe Deschanel was my other business partner and she was really afraid of the internet she was like afraid of people being mean and um she just did not understand like why that people wanted to even be online and I was like no I think it's she's like if we would do something I want to do something really positive so I was like oh maybe it could be like a funnier die for women doing more like now it's very common but branded video deals was like what I was going to say was the next business model because I'd seen it with funnier die and I'd seen it with college humor and just very male focused ad dollars that were going there and so I was like okay let's do it for video but video cost a lot of money. So we just did one video for this company, Teleflora. Mm-hmm. And I just took the profits from it and was like, let's just build a like very simple website, ask 25 people of our friends and family to post. We used to call it um, like evergreen content, which is like topical. It's, it's relevant, not topical. So mm-hmm. like it could be like your favorite babysitter club member, but it's not like, did you watch the finale last night? Mm-hmm. And what – really sort of escalated from that at the same time then Zoe got New Girl and um, my other partner started writing on Two Broke Girls so then I was sort of left to like really run the company with their vision and their um, and their help but so Hello Giggles was the initial start of that so it was a contributor based model but it was supposed to be a video for Funny or Die it was supposed to be a video company did you guys ever end up doing videos? you know they do them now um, and I would still argue that like the margins aren't great on videos and it's not a great business. You see it a lot that like unless you could take it to scripted or to stuff of it, I don't really see – I don't really watch digital videos. So I – Well, I think the game's a little different. Like production value doesn't need to be where it used to be. Totally. And then and also like what you – social video is its own thing. Like yeah. they do a lot – they focused on Facebook a lot. Like we would get like 54 million views on like a how to wear a cat eye video, you know, yeah. and – then it sort of becomes something different. But I was always really proud of the tone. And, and so it went from about um, 25 people writing to about 4,500. It's so crazy. Uh, because what I noticed is that there was no journalism school anymore. And so people did have this reason to want to write. But, like, where were you really going to write 
for. Like there's not your local paper in the same way that people are reading. So you can kind of write for anyone. And pe- personal blogging was less interesting to me. We'd sort of just finished this – that Tumblr phase was coming out of it. And um, and I would always really make sure the tone of Hello Giggles was like, this isn't an essay to like explore your belief on something. It's to like maybe by your experience you'll help someone else too. But I don't love when it's like – oversharing or like certain things of it just because it it makes the reader uncomfortable and there's not usually like a takeaway. So we would make sure that like that's your personal blog that we will then support you. But if you're writing an article about mental health, of course, share your story. But then also like can we bring in other voices or experts to like sort of bring this into not a diary entry, you know, like I would then after knowing you're the author would want to know more about you. So yeah, so it became like a contributor model. um, And we will be, I'm no longer there, but because I sold it, but um, oh, you sold it. I did sell it. Sophia, how, how much did you sell it for? Um, I will not reveal. I'm just kidding. Um, I <laughs> I was like, it's it's out there. Just so it's you know. out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's like a good amount. We had an we had a we were supposed to get a um an earnout that like everyone always says, which is great advice, and you hate to hear it after you sell it that you will never make your earnout. <laughs> And I now I'm so happy to know that because I was like, of course we will. And so it's like sometimes I try to negotiate you in the deal with a really mm-hmm. big earnout, meaning like if you stay here for five years and you hit all these benchmarks, you'll get like more money from it. But most of the time, it's hard to like work within someone else's system to make those benchmarks that they've created for you. So everyone I know who has sold is like, never count your earnout. I was like, next company, they're not getting me with the earnout because <laughs> you get excited, you still believe in it, you know, to yeah. why you'd want to sell it. So you've kind of explained what Hello Giggles is, but I want to go take a step back just because you – I mean you started a huge company. I just wanted to ask you a few questions about – Yeah, yeah. So I know that y- you and your partners kind of discussed the concept, but like what was what was that first step? You were like this could be something real. Like what does day one look like? Well, I'm experiencing it now with my new company. I think what I often do, which is – I. I think it's positive for me. I don't know if it's positive for everyone is that I kind of just like throw things out there and then have to be accountable for it. So we would have a discussion and like I'm not precious and I also don't really have a strong – I have a strong opinion on what I feel about aesthetics but I don't lead with, lead with aesthetics. So I usually have partners like a Zoe or now Roy, people who feel that way. But I am very vibe oriented. So I'm like, okay, we have this idea. I'm like let's just start a – get a like WordPress, like let's just get an edit, like making it feel to my partners that it was very like, we're starting and we're just seeing. But meanwhile, being like, once it's out there, like I'll just, opportunity will come from there because, you know, and it's true, like day one. And also like, it was very clear that it was Zoe's tone as well. And she had this audience that was a little bit more indie, like five more days of summer. I'm from she and him, but they were just like good demo. I don't know. They were really mm-hmm. supportive. They really wanted to support her. It was kind of like we used to joke around. It was like for the kid in middle school who didn't want to wear sexy Halloween costumes, like, and who still didn't, who still read and like kind of still wanted to like, you know, maybe still watch Nickelodeon and wasn't ready for like racy stuff. Like yeah. there's just a certain energy that Zoe and I um, and Molly really connected to, which was like girls not women <laughs> maybe that maybe that's the definition of it but like we or maybe we well, could no because be- i think it's still i think it is still women um and it's it's funny because there's there's a consistency through through everything you've done and it keeps coming up because i did a little research on you oh, cool. do you know what it is no it's summer camp oh yeah i just i'm going to be a camp counselor next week of, of course you are yes. but like you i mean you were a camp, a camp counselor but like you I, I've seen it show up in like in like interviews you do and just certain things. And there was um, an LA Times quote that says she imagined Hello Giggles as an online summer camp where writers are paid quote after school babysitting money end quote for their efforts. And I just think that that like sums it up. Like there is something wholesome and charming and like happy about what you guys were trying to do. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think for me, okay. Summer camp for me is freedom, and I think it's really empowering, and you're out of your social structure, and you're in narrative. I mean, and you're in nature, and there's a certain narrative that you tell yourself when you're, like, in the city, you're your school friends, and you're there all the time. You're like, I'm this person, and then suddenly, like, you take yourself to the woods, and you're like, you can just kind of just roam and go to your next thing, you know, whenever you want, and you can learn crafts, and you have to do team building, and, and I just really excelled in that scenario. I come from like a very big foreign family that like isn't precious about 
like they're just cousins and you have to just deal with it. We're like, no one's like in charge really. Mm-hmm. Like, and so I think at camp you're like, oh, I can be the leader here and I can do this. And I was like, oh, this is so exciting. And then, you know, babysitting, you could like, you were like, oh wait, I, I was at Beverly Hills sports camp, camp counselor. And I like made so much money. I was like, what? I should just be doing this. Like, I'm just going like, and my other friends were camp counselors after school. And I was like, this is a great job. Like, I don't think I could like wait tables. I don't know that I would have the coordination for that. But, (laughs) but yeah, so I think with summer camp, um, and I'm seeing it next week, actually, um, Katy Perry starting a camp called Firework, and she's Stop. doing a pilot. I know. I'm like, remember those days when Britney Spears and like That's Mariah Carey then would have summer camps? So she's launching the summer camp, and she's getting a few friends to be counselors. And I was like, we're going for five days, and I'm so excited to be like off the grid of it and like really be involved. And then I did another one, Camp Harmony, which was for like the homeless. I've did that a few times. Um, and I don't know, just someone can change their entire perspective in one hour. You can just have a great counselor, a great teacher, a great supporter, and it can just make you feel like seen. And I, there, things are unlimited when you feel that way. And a camp is like that. You're like, I can like, I'm really good at basketball. Like now I want to go back to school and I brought this confidence. Like I just love the transformation that camp brings. And I think that's like what we were missing that in life. I mean, the wing is doing that with the wing in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in all the cities, they have a camp no man's land they do for all their members. That's and they said that's like um, it's like all a lot of it becomes like therapy, social communication building that you need as an adult. Like you just know when you, there's no opportunity to do that as an adult. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, th- there's something about camp that's like it's sort of like a self discovery thing where like you get to be whoever you want. Like, yeah, all of the. Did things, you go to summer camp? I did, but I did Rawhide Ranch, um, which is amazing, and I loved it. But it was you had like a, you were assigned a horse for the week or or another animal. It was a lot of cleaning stalls, right? And, you went to like rehab. <laughs> I, yeah, it was just a lot of physical labor. Um, but, I don't think you get enough credit for being how strong you were and what a good re- producer. That's you were. That's really nice. Yeah, of you. I was always like, we should give her that title, and I would have loved it. It's funny when you, you did it so much. Well, when you talk about being in your car and like hearing a song and being like, oh, this would have fit. I do that exact same thing. I know. And I was always so jealous of you guys as producers because really, I just wanted to be back there with you guys. I know, but you were so good at it. And you know what? Like half the time. I really leaned on you in more ways that was probably not appropriate to help navigate a lot of the situations, which is probably why, like, everyone would be like, you have a favorite. And I'm like, I'm not saying that I do. I just – I think there is a level – and you couldn't say it when you were there, but um, there is a level of um, – just communication that you and I had, that you were really aware, you were really considerate. I mean, listen, we, you brought it out. I brought it out. Like, we've all had, like, we were in a family of, like, a set. Like, we were – it was a real set of it. But I think when I watch these reality shows now, I'm like, there's a bond that people have during those. And even more in the days that we were doing it because there wasn't social media to, like, expl- like, you could never do The Hills now with Twitter. You guys would tweet where we were at for lunch and we would be ruined. Like, I would, like, be – it was hard enough for me to have a weekend for the crew off because so much would happen without us. Well, you would have to do what they do with Jersey, Jersey Shore. They take their phones away. Yeah, but, like, in the real – that also changes the dynamic of the show. You're not the same character. No, but they would just otherwise they would just be texting each other. Like they no, they you could need take it away it. and scene. Well, no, but, no, they when they take when they do their like family vacations, I'm pretty sure they take. Away I know, their but phones. that doesn't make it the real world. That makes it to me. That's a different. What was yeah. good about the hills was that it, you were actually real people having to be in situations that we were considering reality. You know, yeah. and by the way, I had to text you every single time. Remember, <laughs> I thought I invented yes. BBM Productions from BlackBerry. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, I would just text you, like, stand up, leave the room, ask this question. Like, I was on fire. My texting skills, they would test me to not look up, and I could get any sentence. All the producers would be like, tell Lauren this, and I'd be like, 30 seconds. I could just, like, type it. That skill set you're is very, not- You're very impressive. So last, lastly, I want to just talk about your next project because it's so interesting to me that you built up a media company. It was very successful. You sold it, and then – Typically, when people do something like that, they go on to build another media company. They stay in the same space because it's what they know. What you're doing now is just totally different, which I think is really interesting, and I would love to hear about it. Yeah. Um, Well, it's not as – like, one of the reasons is I do have a (laughs) non-compete in media um, for selling it. So that is um, why. But 
but um, I, as of today, I could do media again. But okay. um, but what I think I found, I'm doing spices. It's called High Note. Um, it's end every meal in a high note. So it's like a finishing spice um, for blends throughout your day. I'm doing it with Roy Choi and Justin Coit and Shira, the food therapist. I didn't know Shira was involved. Yeah, she's the one who actually really motivated me <gasps> to figure out what it would look like. Because I knew I basically I, I'd had media and I'd done – entertainment and I felt like I wanted a tangible item. Okay. I wanted to know or a location. I wanted to go somewhere and say this is who I know is is liking my stuff or this is who I know is buying my stuff. I felt with online we'd have 20 million people a month but I couldn't tell you who they were. And a lot of stuff with the election was happening and people were guessing on who people were based online and, and it, it just was not matching up. Like I would sit in these advertising meetings like she's 34 and she goes to this school and, she, and I'm like I don't really know. You know I mean and so I didn't like the lack of control in that. Um, and so as I was exploring on like what could be a possible location or an item, I was noticing that I had a lot of friends that um, came up at, during the same time as me, like Julie and Elizabeth at SoulCycle and Allie at Dry Bar. And I was like, why are all these things of access to me in one area but not in other parts of town? So I had explored a sort of like a development project. And then through that, I realized in these low-income areas that what was like an equalizer in a lot of it was um, like Roy had a it's called local. It was a healthy fast food in low-income areas. And people couldn't even – the area couldn't afford to eat. But they could get white rice and they would just pour spice on it. And I was like, oh, spice is really dignified. Like it dignifies a meal. It's an equalizer. Like you can have a bowl of rice and throw on spice in Brentwood and you can throw that way in Watts. Like it's not it, – there's a way that to feel the same. Like and you're in a bodega in Watts, there's kombucha. That's also an air one. Like I want to have a product that like – it's just accessible to everyone, but it's not driven by the accessibility. It just happens to be something that is that. Like I'm not targeting low-income areas or high-income areas. I'm like, this should just be available to you the way salt and pepper. Like this is what it is. So we created like three blends of it. And same way now, like we're in packaging or all this. And I'm like, guys, we're launching in September. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, just say we're launching and we will move backwards from there. And like I, I have that like very bold approach to it where – I mean, what's the worst going to happen? I'm not going to be ready in September and I have to keep moving. Like, I just everyone is a lot more careful than I am. And mm-hmm. so – and I need people to sort of reel me in too because I'll do, you know, I'll do wild stuff. I'm, I'm like <laughs> – No, deadlines are super important. And even, even if you have to make them on yeah. yourself, that was the hardest thing of being your own boss is you have to say, you know what? I'm going to launch in September. I want to be in fast casual and I want to be – in situations like the wing or place, workspaces. So I want to be the topper of your salad after you order sweet green that like maybe you feel like – Shira talks about it a lot. It's like feeling full, not satisfied. And a lot of food habits from the food therapist is that if you create good food memory, you actually make better choices. So mm-hmm. if you are having a meal that felt like your little like zhuzh or umph because you threw a coconut sugar date powder on something on your yogurt it doesn't feel like a boring yogurt and mm-hmm. like if you have you know so it just it's not necessarily a functional food health company but it's a lifestyle company it's like our approach to being like things should just be more fun and easy and feel like enjoyable so that's what i'm doing now but it's really interesting i'm learning a whole new world about like grocery and cpg yeah. world <laughs> is just it's so different but you know what i I'm happy to learn is I'm learning a lot about sustainability and packaging and things that are tangible. And it's so exciting to me in a way that's so boring to people around me. So It's not, it's not boring to me at all because I'm actually doing the exact same and thing. And it's like I can't get over it and yeah. learning about – I, I mean, I didn't go to college. And so I think that this is – You went to the school of life. Totally, totally. But I think because of that, I'm so curious. You know, like I will ask an, a packaging question. And like education can mean different things to a lot of people. Like to me, education is like learning people, like learning their psychology and then now learning about like how the things that we use in the world now how are we protecting them around them? Like if we're going to make sure that we're going to use collagen powder for our drinks because we care about having collagen, like how is that being packaged to us? Like what? that's what I want to also know. Like there's a lot of focus on health but not how the health is being delivered to us and that you'll drink a juice in a plastic bottle and you're like, well, this isn't really consistent. Like I want to be consistent in where I can be in areas of my life. Yeah, I think that there's so many options now when it comes to green packaging like 
you know what I mean? Like if you're starting out and you can design into that, it's so nice and it's something you can feel better about. And asking the questions like at first it'd be first step was sustainable packaging was like finding out that it recycle. And then now the new question that you have to ask is like how long does it take to to decompose? And like that'll be – some people will say 25 years and I'm like, well, I'm not in the game for 25 years. Like, And some will be like 30 days because it's a – you know. And you have to decide. And listen, yeah. everyone has their own compass of it. When I discovered that that those Splenda packets and equal packets don't recycle, I was like, how is the world making me not have straws and not focused on these billions of packets that are everywhere? I was like, I felt like I had information that no one was like revealing. I was like, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Like, it's true. It doesn't recycle. They, <laughs> you know, like, And so those are the kind of things that are exciting to me is to make like – a sustainable packet. <laughs> That's it's a real it's, nerd. It's, no, it's not. It's really exciting to me too. And yeah, I just think that we live in a world where we're fortunately becoming more and more aware of how much waste we create. And yeah. If yeah. And Roy, have... my partner said the other day, cause he has a, a show called Breaking um, Bread on, for PBS. And he was like, people care about reality shows, but not reality isn't interesting. And I was like, oh, that's so true. Like, that's... the reality is, like, I would watch a 30-minute show on sustainable packaging. But, like, most times people probably wouldn't, you know? <laughs> so that, that's not, like, we're not showing reality, yeah. we're, you know? So, yeah. So, so that hopefully will be in September. Okay. Or anyone I'm... on the podcast listening can hold me to it. All right. September launching. High note. High note. You'll hear more from our guest in just a minute. But first, I'm going to tell you about our sponsor. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. So now that you know a little bit more about Sophia, we're going to take some questions from you. You'll learn how to build a brand with friends, how to fundraise, why it's so important to ask for help, and how to overcome the difficulties associated with starting a new brand. So I have a few specific questions for you, uh, mostly focused on building a company because you've done it so successfully and you're in the process of doing it again. This first question is, I think, one that most people wonder and and rightfully so. Mara said, how do you build a brand with friends? Um, Okay. I think (laughs) I have a lot of takes on this. I know. And a lot of times people – I have a few friends who are starting companies. I – it depends on who initiated the idea. I don't believe in 50-50 anymore. I think that they're – I agree. And I don't think that's a mean thing to say. It's not about sharing. Is that it really puts it in a um, disadvantage when you're supposed to always see the same thing as equal. And not that, that there's a hierarchy because with, with friends, like obviously you want to be like what's your skill set and what's what you're not. I got really clear, obviously like therapy and all that, of what I am not good at. I will enter a meeting. I can open up. I can – pitch the vision. I can get people excited. I have an energy. The second I turn around, I am not an executor. I am not, I cannot, like literally I will, I never, I'll probably blank out and never remember what I said. Like, it's like as if I have amnesia. So you got to get people who, my business partners tend to be people who are super structured, who are super by the line and who see things in a very tangible way, which I think outside the box in that way. But that's sort of like sometimes I feel bad because it's like the more boring side of it. But some people thrive on structure. So it's finding that balance of like I'm not going to be able to do the business model for you. But I can – now I have the instinct when a business model is read to me on should we do this, this, and that to ask the questions. And I – you know, you don't know what you don't know. Fundraising was the same way. I had to – I we basically raised money um, from friends and family at first. And I got I got with a CFO – to come come in. That's who really changed my business. I, I say like bringing the, an adult in, whatever an adult means to you, but like bring the adult in who's going to like be the one. So I brought the CFO in, Penny, changed my life. She was basically like, we need to go out and raise money. And she taught me every step of the way of it on how to do it. And you know, you can do it on a convertible note. You can you you have to value yourself is the first step of raising money. It's just you have to say, what would the market value me at? And that's a hard thing because some people value themselves really low, sometimes that's about really high. And so that was a big step in like now whatever I'm doing, I'm like, what do I think this is worth? And that's gonna be my compass. And then I'll see what the market comps are. And when you say you raised from family and friends, is that did you have to pitch to them or was it 
people that you knew that were like, yeah, I believe in you. I love this idea. So my family and friends was actually not my family and friends. It's just like oh. the round that they call. But um, oh. <laughs> some of them were like, it'd be like Mark Webb, who directed 500 Days of Summer, was Zoe's um, friend, and he gave 25, or my friend Michael Price. But my actual friends and family, it's sort of harder to pitch to them because mm-hmm. you feel you don't want to lose their money. You're a lot more comfortable losing other people's money. And most of the time in these investments, people don't – it's a weird thing. They don't expect their money back, right? You have to invest – when you're investing in something, you're like, I'm probably never going to see it. Yet at the same time, you have the arrogance of being like, if I am going to see it back, it must be a times four. Like no one's interested in getting their money back just with like times one or two. So it's, yeah. it's a weird balance that you find that someone who's willing to give you. And I felt my other advice that I really think is the people that give you lower amounts, 25K, 50K, are so much more helpful than the people who write you a check for 500 or a million. Because they do that all the time if they're at that level. They're yeah, they're that. not invested in this. I mean, but my 50K would be like, do you know anyone here? We can set you up with here. And I'd be like, you're so nice. Like you're – you gave me the least amount of money and you're like – like the Pritzker family gave me money. I joke around all the time. Like he could see me in the street and not even know who I am. You know, <laughs> and I'd be like, hey, you gave me a million dollars. Like you wouldn't know. Um, so yeah, so I raised money through um, learning and then – um, and Catherine Power, huge influence for me. I would call her all the time. She would look over it from Click Media. She would look over my um, term sheets. And then in selling it the same way, I had to – I felt like a puppet though. I had to learn business school and have people repeat to me what terms were. And then you get it. It, it, it sort of just becomes a language. But it's authentic to my gut instinct, not to my business side of it. But I guess with entrepreneurs, it's more good anyway. Yeah, I think that your approach is similar to mine where we know what we don't know. And that's really important. And we don't pretend. Yeah, like, you I'm, have to bring in experts. You have to lean on people around you. And you you have people in your life that have done this really well and are willing to give you advice, which is really nice. Um, I think people are always really hesitant to ask for help. And it's like I, I know that I – you know, I've learned a lot of things along the way and made a lot of mistakes, and I'm happy to share that advice with anybody. And I think most people feel oh, that I way. Will, I, one other thing that I think is crucial, and I'm noticing this in the food space, it's happening a lot in a good, nice way, is I will show anyone any of my back-end stuff, like to the point where I don't – like who my distribution is going to be. Or in Hello Giggles, I'd be like, sure, do you want to know that person? Like connections to me are – should be for the sharing. Like it is weird to me when people are pri- – I mean there's certain things when they're private about maybe a creative if you're a writer and there's an idea. But in terms of business, like Catherine would show me her flow charts or org charts of how who was reporting to who. And I'd be like, okay, Catherine does it this way. Like Ricky would show me his from College Humor. Like you need that. You need perspective because there's no like authority in this. There's no union in like – the internet. It's like the Wild West. So you have to like <laughs> copy what other people are doing and hopefully you do that with support of it. But yeah, I definitely don't know. And I also love people who are smarter than me. I would. I think it's so exciting because I know what I'm good at, which is a street smart a human behavior. But when there's someone who has a very expertise in something, like that's thrilling to me. I want them to come in and take ownership over an area because who wouldn't want that to accelerate your business, you know? I don't feel defensive of people. Yeah, I was going to say, I think a lot of people feel threatened when they bring in someone who knows a lot more than them. But, no, well, but really, no. my biggest advice I got was from the, the same one I was talking about, Penny helped me raise money, is I kept going into things being like, I don't know this, but like, it's okay. And she's like, stop telling people what you don't know. <laughs> like, we know you don't know it. That's why we're here to support it. But you're also asking for money. So you need to not say all the time that like, I would sort of go into the room as like a little girl. There's a lot of them were men where I'd be like, dad, just like explain to me. Like, da, da, da. And she'd be like, well, there's no dad. Like, you have the business here. And I was like, yeah. right, right, right. I am the adults, you know? Like, I'd be like, yes, I'm sure you guys know. And she was like, no, you we know best. That's We're going to pitch them on a company that already exists. So it was a lot of like behavioral, especially in when I was selling the company. Like they like were the guy who owned Time Inc. was like, don't you want half of it in cash and half of it um, in, the, in the stock of Time Inc.? Don't you believe in Time Inc.? Don't you believe in Hello Giggles? And I was like, I can't even believe I'm selling Hello Giggles. Like, of course I believe in it. I want to have half of it. And Penny on the back end, she was like 100% cash. Don't even question it. Like, this is this is not a family business. You'll have many businesses in your life. And I was like, oh my God, okay. And then afterwards, like a year later, Time Inc. sold. I would have had stock in like another random company. Well, yeah, that's my there you go. That's my business approach. Thanks, Penny. Yeah. Chloe asked, "What did you find to be the hardest 
part of building your own business? Like what was the most challenging or maybe even unexpected thing? I think the hardest part was you don't get to celebrate it while you're in it because you're so in it. And so the, you, the memories of it being good are obviously there, but like now I would take more time to be like, this is so awesome. It was, you're just in it, you know, so you don't really get to, to enjoy it in the same way. And then the other hardest part would just be when real stress comes up. Like it's hard to not think it's the end of the world because it is your world, you know? And even though the reality will be like, no, of course not. It's just a job. Like it's hard to not make it feel that way when it's your own. Yeah, it's, it's, it is – I hear what you're saying because a lot of times like when I'm in a project and like we do something really cool, you don't really take the time out to be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing that we accomplished oh this. My, never. You're just looking at the next step and you're being – Or to take the compliment. Like I even say with yeah. you guys, I'm like, the little market's so amazing. And so you're like, okay, okay, okay. And I'm like, no, guys. <laughs> no, I don't. I say thank you. <laughs> of course you say thank you. But like you got – like I always randomly like for Hannah, I'm like, this is incredible. Like I go to the store and it's like I'm a new person every time being like – and I want to tell people about it. But when it's your own, you're like, that's not the same energy. We just have like, we have goals we're working towards constantly. So there's no finish line for us. Like this is never something we're going to sell or there's just no ending. It's just how big can we make it? Yeah. But you've done such an amazing job. Thank you. But I hear you where you're just like, when you're in it, it's so different. That must be such a cool feeling though. Like looking back at Hello Giggles, like you've kind of shut that door and that's something you can be so proud of and kind of be like, I built that. And any of the th- – thank you. And any of the, the problems – the hardest part also of being a business is that, like, if you don't pay yourself the same amount. Yes. like, And so, like, there's also – there's, like, a financial, like, stress in starting a business that is, can be very distracting to starting a business. So whenever people are like, I want to leave my job and start my own business, I'm like, do whatever you can to match that same salary because that will not allow you to be distracted. So if you make 60 grand a year and you want to start your own business, like, what are you – how are you compensating that 60 grand? Are you, like – freelancing or you're driving an Uber, but like try to not change as much as you can your basic needs because it's such a distraction when you're like also need to figure out how to like pay your rent and then be the boss in the day to someone who needs to pay their own rent, you know? And so that I think making sure that financial blanket is there is just such a – it's not just about money. It's the lightness that that can give you and then allow you to – and it shouldn't stop you from making your your dreams as well, but there's a comfort in knowing – your no, basic of needs are taken care yeah, of. It allows to, you to be creative. Yeah. You know? I was going to say, it's just so distracting if you haven't. No. And it was all on me. Like, I don't have family money. Like, I was always on me. So I was like, and we also paid our contributors. So there was just always a stress of yeah. like taking that on. But then a benefit because you get to pay a lot of people. But it's yeah. Just, yeah. That babysitting money. Yeah. Now I'm like, spices, they don't like talk back. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're just, they're just, they're just there. <laughs> Oh, well, I'm very excited for Thank September. Thank you. I know. Thank you so much. Thank you I, for having me. We we covered so much, and, and we really got to reminisce there. I know. <laughs> it's never enough. It's not. I'm sorry. I love you. Congratulations love you on this. Thanks. You too. Very cool. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode and to my wonderful guest, Sophia Rossi. For more information on Sophia, you can follow her at Rivfifi, that's R-I-V-F-I-F-I. Also, you can check out her new venture, High Note, at hellohighnote.com. If you liked what you heard, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, and tell a friend about the show. We will be back next Wednesday with another episode. Talk to you soon.